I haven't got time uh, to tell you how I came uh, to, to do this little series or how it came into my mind, um, uh, but I just hope that it will be a blessing to you over the next few uh, weeks. It has been to me as I've started to prepare it uh, and I've been excited by it. Uh, first session today, uh, light father, light son. Not, not, you haven't misheard me, okay? I haven't mispronounced it. It's light father, light son is the name of the, the message. And I'm going to walk you through uh, the Bible, uh, the theme of light in the scriptures. Uh, light is uh, mentioned in creation. It's mentioned at the very start of the first book. And believe it or not, it's mentioned at the very end of the last book in the Bible. It's used as a metaphor. It's used as symbolism. Uh, light is often contrasted in the Bible with uh, darkness, where there's the absence of light. Light is, in, is used to imply um, goodness, whereas darkness uh, is used to imply the, the, the lack of goodness, the absence of goodness and the presence of evil. And so tonight, as we just go through it, I hope that you will just become more convinced that light is what you have and light, more light, is what you need. So let's have a look at light in creation. I've got 30 minutes, which starts now, okay? The first thing that God created, Genesis 1. If you've got a Bible, you can feel free to fly through these with me. Um, it may be easier for you just to listen. If you're making notes, you might just want to jot them down. But Genesis 1, that was the first thing that God made. Before God created light, there was only darkness, Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says that the, the world was without form. It was void and darkness covered the face of the deep. This is an unpleasant world. Without form, it's, it lacks order. It's chaotic. Void, it's, it's an empty world. There's nothing there. There's nothing to see, nothing to smell, nothing to touch. Just nothing. And darkness is there. It's a bleak world. It's a hopeless world. It's a world already in despair, even though nothing is yet there. And it's a, it's a world where there is nothing but lifelessness. But then God speaks, verse 3. And his very words throw light into material existence. Chapter 1, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And at that moment, there was light. And in this moment, God gives us his perspective on what he has made. Not only uh, does, does God separate the light from the darkness and, and forever make a, a, a separation and a, a distinction between the two, a contrast between the two, but God gives us his opinion of it. And in verse 4, God looks at the light and he says, this light is very good. As you go through the rest of the Bible, light is going to be interpreted as the goodness of God. I'll show you that as we go through. Everything which is then created is dependent upon this light. Without light, the grass cannot grow. The, the insects cannot feed, animals cannot survive, fish cannot 
thrive. Light is really important. It's essential for life. So where does this light come from? Yes, God created it. He, 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 he spoke it into existence, into material existence. But its origins go back before then. You see, there was a type of light that existed before God created the world. And this, this light that existed in eternity past describes the very character and nature of God. This is what we read in, in 1 John 1 verse 5. This is the message, John says, that we've heard from him and that we proclaim to you that God is light. And we know that our God doesn't change, so God has always been light. And in him there is no darkness at all. The psalmist tells us something similar. Psalm 76 verse 4. You are radiant with light. More majestic than the mountains that are rich with game. There's a light that existed before the light that we see. Or more accurately, there was a light that existed before the light by which we see. And that light was a reflection of the nature and character of God. So the, the light that we have around us, the lights in this room, the sun, the stars, the lights at home, your bedside light, your night light, your headlights on your car, all those uh, material lights that have been made, they are all imitating, reflecting, mirroring something in the very nature and character of God. In the same way that human beings are made in God's image and we reflect something of him, that is true of everything that is materially made. Everything that is made in some way reflects some part of God's nature and character because the heavens declare the glory of God. Or uh, from Isaiah 6, the whole earth is full of his glory. Everything is reflecting. Everything is, even a cheetah in some way that is different to a lion reflects God. An ant in some way reflects God because it was created from his, himself. Let me move on because I can't stay here forever. But everything, including light, reflects something in the nature and character of God. And it's important to understand that because remember that before God created light, the world is in darkness. And so what we're meant to understand is that true goodness, everything that can be called life, originates with him. Life comes as a result of light and God is the source of the light. Without God, we will be in darkness, we will be in emptiness, we will be in chaos. And so if we want life, whether that's uh, you today in this room or those watching online or, or people perhaps watching in the future, if you want life, if your life is in darkness and chaos, if it's empty, then you must come to God. You must allow him to bring life as he brings himself, his very presence into your life. So there we see light in creation. 
second C for you. I've got seven, but we're not going to get through them all. I'll just give you the last few, okay, if we, if we can. But secondly, we see that uh, light, we see the light of God after the crash. Okay, we normally call it the fall, don't we? Genesis 3, after the fall, after Adam and, Adam and Eve sinned. I'm going to call it the crash, so I've got some C's. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, the world, once saved from darkness, in chapter 1, verse 2, after their sin, is once more cast back into darkness. Once more, back under its shadow. Sin separates us from God. Uh, and as, as man becomes separated from God, the life that's found in God is, is also moved away from us. And so death comes as we move away from the light. All the way through the Old Testament, you're going to see darkness unfolding because of the crash in Genesis 3. And yet in this darkness, God chooses to share his goodness, his presence, his light. He chooses to share that with certain people. And the first people I think you see it with in Genesis is with Noah. You say, well, where's light in Noah? Let me, let me show you. After that flood, after that great darkness where the wrath of God came on uh, the, the sons of God for their disobedience and their rebellion, what does God do after that moment? Well, God displays his goodness for the world to see. How does he do it? He places a rainbow, a refraction of light in the sky for all the world to see his goodness. Now, the, a side note, okay, rainbows probably existed before the flood, okay? But I think what probably happened at the flood is that God gave a new meaning to the rainbow. This is now, when you see it, this is now what you're meant to understand. I suspect that rainbows were around before the flood, but a new meaning was given to it. Refracted light across the skies. Darkness didn't win. Death doesn't have the final word. Not everyone will die. Why? Because God's goodness, the God who is light, is still present with his people. We see it with Israel as well. I'm going to move on to my next C in a moment. But we see it in the Old Testament with Israel. We see another expression of light as God chooses to show it to a particular people. So God saves Israel from Egyptian slavery. They're saved, yet they walk in darkness. They walk in the darkness of the wilderness, no longer having the, the, the oil lamps and the fires of Egypt. They need a light to guide them, don't they? On their way to the promised land. And the good God presences himself with his people by a pillar of fire. Every day, every night, 40 years, giving them light. Such is the goodness of God for his people. And there's a great point of application for us here just to think through that I think is true of all human beings. Put it, put it this way, whilst other nations, imagine the Egyptians coming after them on the way to the Red Sea. 
while the other nations, while the Egyptians walk through the wilderness in darkness. His people walk through the same wilderness, but with light, with hope, with life, because God is with them. And I think that's still true today. Every single human being is walking through the wilderness of this life. And guess what? Christians are walking through the wilderness of this life too. It's a wilderness for everyone. But Christians have life and we have light because we have him. Remember Moses, Exodus 33. Getting through the Bible now, we're picking up pace a little bit. Exodus 33, Moses says, Lord, I want to see your glory. What is it that he wants to see? I think it's the Shekinah glory. He, He wants to see the light. He wants to see the majesty of God. He wants to know the essence of God. And we know that he doesn't, God doesn't let him see it, but he just sees God's back. But what he does is he does, he does hear something, and try and stick with me, because this is a bit teachy, but it's, I think it's really key. He hears something. He doesn't see something, but he hears something. God says to him, I will make my goodness pass before you. And do you know what? From that moment on, the goodness of God towards his people will be described as God making his face shine upon them. Try and grab that for a minute. He wants to see the light of God. God said, you can't see it because you're going to die if you see it. But let me, let me show you my goodness. And the goodness of God passes before him. And from that moment on, the goodness of God for his people will be described as God's face shining upon them. So number six, the great blessing. The Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Psalm 4 verse 6, many ask, who, show us, who will show us the good? Shine the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Or Psalm 44, speaking of God's people, says, not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face is what saved them. So we see light now in the scriptures represents the goodness of God for his people even after the crash. What's my third C going to be? Have a guess. Christ. Third, we see the light of God in Christ. Stick with my reasoning for a moment. If God is light in him, there's no darkness at all. The the text tells us that. If God's goodness towards his people is described as his face shining upon them, this is awesome. There was a moment in history when the face of God really did shine upon people. You've got to get that. All the way through the Old Testament, my face is shining on you, I'm, I'm with you, I'm here, but he's not, he's kind of far away. Forgive, forgive the expression. And yet there's a moment in history when Christ comes and the face of God really does shine on humanity. So Jesus himself says, John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
It brings us straight back to Genesis 1, doesn't it? The light that brought with it life. And Jesus says, that's me. I think basically John 8 verse 12, I could do a really messed up paraphrase, but it would be something like this. I'm the light. I am the light that brings with it life. I am the one who spoke this light into material existence. I am the one who was speaking in Genesis 1. And just as in Genesis 1, light brought with it hope and deliverance from the darkness, so too when Jesus stepped onto the stage, he was delivering the world once more from the darkness that was caused by the crash. You know, Christians are described in 2 Corinthians 4 as those who have had their eyes opened, who have seen and believed in Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says that the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, that's what they've believed, that Jesus is the God who spoke in Genesis 1. It's no wonder, is it, that when Jesus showed up onto the stage, that he would fulfill prophecies about light coming into the darkness. So Malachi 4.2, we read it normally at Christmas time. You who fear my name, the son of righteousness, will rise. I can't remember exactly, but I think Malachi is about 400 years beforehand. The world's in a dark place, but don't worry, because the Son of, of Righteousness, Jesus, the Son of God, is going to rise. Light's coming. Or, or in Matthew 4, quoting from Isaiah 9, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. Who have they seen? They've seen Jesus. Those living in a land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned upon them. You see, we're, we're all like Nicodemus. You know Nicodemus, right? We're all like him. We're all in the night. We're all in darkness. And we all come to Jesus in darkness. We're like the shepherds at Jesus' birth, out on the fields. Our lives are night. But then the gospel message shines on us. Like the angels that appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around. What was that light all about? What's the pandemonium about? What's all the fuss about? A saviour's been born. The light of the world who comes to rescue shepherds and Nicodemuses. And people like me and you. I'll show you one detail before moving on and somehow trying to round up the other 12 pages of notes that I've got. But did you know that God had always planned to show his beauty, to reveal himself to us through his son? He'd always planned that. And when Jesus came, when we see him as the light of God, the goodness of God working for his people, and then, Father, when he literally made his face to shine upon us in the face of Christ. He's given us an inkling of this moment earlier on in the Bible. You're probably saying, Sam, we know that. But he's given us loads of inklings about it. 
But did you know he gave you one in chapter one of the Bible? Six times in Genesis 1, God says in his word, there was evening and there was morning. There was evening, there was morning. There was evening and there was morning. And you've got to ask the question, God, you got it wrong there. It's morning and evening. That's the way a day works, okay? I know I'm not the creator, but that's the way a day goes. Morning first, then evening. But yet the Bible says, no, no, evening and then morning. Why? Why is that? Well, I think it's because the Father always had his sight set on the dawn of Christ. He always had his back to the evening. And he always had his face looking forward to that day when the Son of Righteousness would rise. He was always looking at the morning when, that, when light would shine into the darkness. He had his eyes set on the day when those dwelling in a land of deep darkness, on them a light would dawn. And he also had his attention set on the day when the light would be extinguished. On that morning when Jesus would be carried out to the cross. When the one who is light would be stripped, as it were, of that light. So that the, the effects of the crash could be reversed. You see, light cannot come to those of us in darkness without darkness coming to the one who is light itself. And so I think the Father had his sight set on that day. And beyond that day, I think the Father had his sight set on another morning. When early in the morning, on the first day of the week, Christ would burst forth from the tomb. I'm not sure if that's the fulfillment of Malachi 4. <laughs> when the Son of Righteousness would rise from the tomb and bring healing to all who would trust in him. You see, light has shone into the darkness and darkness did not overcome him. How can I wrap this up? I think I've still got 10 minutes actually. I've got to wrap it up by 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 giving you one more C. I'd love to give you three more, but I'll just give you one. We see light, the light of God in creation. We see the light of God even after the crash. We see the light of God ultimately in Christ. And lastly, we see the light of God in the church. God's great plan is that through his son, through Jesus, men and women might once again share in that awesome fellowship with the triune God. And as we believe that Jesus is the light that our dark souls need, when we believe that, when we put our hope and our faith and our trust in him, then we too become partakers once again 
of that divine light. Listen to, to, to John chapter 12. Listen to, again to, to Jesus. A little while longer, he says, the light, speaking of himself, is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. See, the church now is light, according to Jesus. It's amazing, isn't it? I am the light of the world. And then he goes, my church is the light of the world. So we become sons of light, just as Jesus is a son of light, the son of God. And we begin to take on more of that image of our creator. Let me, let me give you a couple of verses just to help you remember what it, what it is to be a son or a daughter of light as a Christian. Our, our light is to be in contrast with the world. Our, the, our way of life is to be different to the world. So in Philippians 2, verse 15, we are told that we are to shine as lights in the midst of this world, in the midst of a crooked and uh, twisted generation. There's a contrast. We are to shine like lights. That's a crooked and twisted generation. There's to be a contrast. Don't be afraid that you're different. Don't be afraid that the church is wildly different. It, it is wildly different. It's always going to be wildly different. Always. We are contrast. Our light contrasts with the darkness. But here's a great encouragement for us. Our, our light is also to be, be to, to be one that is progressive. And so in Proverbs 4, verse 18, back into the Old Testament for a second, this is what it says. The path of the righteous, the path of the church, is like the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until noonday. That's a great description of what a Christian should be doing. We should be shining brighter and brighter, like the dawn that comes up sometimes far too early in the morning. But it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And that should be a picture of our Christian walks with Jesus. If it's not, then there's a, there is a problem. You see the same thing in 2 Corinthians 3. Paul says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image of, as Jesus from one degree of glory to another. And that happens as we gaze on the great light. As we gaze as Christians on Jesus, we become more and more like him. We're to let our light shine, Jesus says, before others, so that when they see our good works, they will glorify our Father in heaven. How can we be more lighty? I don't know if that's a word. I get away with it in Oasis, right? They forgive me for things like this. How can we be more lighty? That should be the question we're asking, isn't it? Man, if Jesus is light, if, 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 if in God there's no darkness because he himself is light, how can I be more lighty? 
Well, our, our proximity to Jesus is what turns up the dimmer switch. If you've got dimmer switches in your house, you live in a fancy house, okay? That's what I learned when I was young. Do you remember Moses came down off the mountain? Been spending some time with Jesus on the mountain? Do you remember what happened to his face? It was shining because he'd been spending some time with Jesus. What about Stephen? Stephen, being stoned to death, what's his face doing? Shining. Why? Because he's staring up at Jesus. His proximity to Jesus is what causes us to shine as lights. Now, we're probably not going to shine, at least not probably in our lifetime here on the earth. We're probably not going to shine like they did. But the point is clear. Spend time with Jesus and you will be more lighty. It's attributed to John Wesley, although I don't, I'm not sure if he ever said it. I don't know. But he said that every morning he would set himself on fire and then the world could watch him burn. How do we get closer to Jesus? How can we set ourselves on fire? How can we abide in the light and dwell near the light? How can we walk as children of the day from 1 Thess 5? Well, we need to spend time with Jesus. Where do we meet him? We meet him in his word. The word which is written all about him. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so as we spend more time with Jesus in his word, asking people to explain it to us, reading a little bit here and there, coming to church, going to Bible study, meeting a, a friend from church, having a coffee and just sharing something that you saw the other day that you've never seen before in the Bible. That's how we become more lighty. So let me conclude. And well done for sticking with me. I've got two minutes, I think, if I'm right. I don't think I've preached for 40 minutes. I think I am right. <clears throat> There's a day coming when God's church will shine brighter than it ever has. And there will be no danger that the dimmer switch can be turned down. It's something we should, we should look forward to. It's something I look forward to. The day when I'll no longer reach for the dimmer switch and turn it down myself. And that day will come when we see Jesus. We will be like him because we shall see him as he is. No longer will we see through a glass, through a mirror dimly. But we will behold him fully. Perhaps even more so, definitely even more so, than Peter, James and John who saw Jesus shine in his glory on the mountain of transfiguration. And that, did, that, that light, that vision will never depart. Do you remember the rainbow that I told you about in uh, Genesis 6, the start of the Bible? Well, did you know there's another rainbow in the Bible? It comes up in the end, last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 4. And do you know where it is? It's above the throne of Jesus. 
light emanates from the one who is sat on the throne. We're told that though one who sat on the throne had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Do you remember uh, that there was a, a, a morning that I told you about when the sun of righteousness rose and there was, a, there was a dawning of light when Jesus came? Well, there's going to be another dawn. There's another morning, a final morning coming when Jesus comes again. And just as Jesus shone light into darkness at his first coming, he will do the same at his second coming. There will be one more morning, the greatest one. And the light of that morning will never be extinguished. Revelation 22 verse 5 says there will be no more night. There will be no more night. There will be no need of, su- of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and forever. There's a day coming when there will be evening and morning. One last time. The evening will close on this world and the dawn will break into the next. And I just wonder if we will say on that day, weeping lasted for the night, but eternal joy came in the morning.